This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, I see him a little bit later, and he says, Penguin, he says, don't you know that you're not supposed to sign on the sweet spot? That's reserved for me. And I said, Tommy, and I said, look, I said, they asked me to sign it there. So I signed it there. I'm sorry. He says, well, you ought to know better. I said, listen, the way I see it, I'm one of those guys who got you into the Hall of Fame. So I'm going to sign that baseball wherever I want to. Yo, what's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. We are up to episode 274 and if it sounds like I'm even more fired up than normal it's because I am absolutely more fired up than I normally am because this week I am going to run down one of my all-time idols my favorite dude growing up somebody that I really did look up to and in fact still do my guest this week is none other than LA Dodger legend the penguin himself Ron Say. Look, there's no secret about how much I admired this guy growing up in the 818. Loved everything about the Penguin. And he wasn't just my idol or my hero. This guy was a damn good player. A six-time All-Star. The leader of the most successful and longest-running infield in the history of Major League Baseball. He anchored a Dodgers team that won four pennants and the 1981 World Series where he was named the Fall Classics co-MVP. It is a great conversation. It is episode 274 with Ron Say, and it's coming at you right now. So it's not very often that a sports talk show host in his late 50s gets to chop it up with his first childhood idol and one of the biggest reasons why I got into this business in the first place. But here we are. Here the bleep we are. My guy, my childhood idol, Ron Say. Penguin, how you living, Ron? How you doing? What's up? Jim, it's um, great to hear from you again and uh, be part of your show. And uh, you've got a lot of mileage out of that story over the years. <laughs> yeah, and I'm still getting, not only that, I'm still getting mileage out of it. It's amazing. So, Ron, I mean, it's amazing. Like, you're 75 now, which blows my mind. And I say that because you look and you sound incredible. But not only are you 75, you're now a content machine. You've got a brand new book out called Penguin Power, which obviously we'll get to in a moment. And you've got a podcast on top of that called We'll See About that with Ron say so Ron what's going on here what has possessed you to create and push so much content at this stage of your life because I absolutely love it uh a lot of prodding from friends I guess you know over the years uh you know in the beginning when people would talk to me about you know uh doing a book uh most of it centered around you know the group of the most successful infield in major league history of Harvey Lopes Russell and myself and and uh, uh, it was it was a it was a bigger task, I think, to get four people to sit down and, and talk about these things, whether it was in a group or individually. So that kind of took, uh, 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 you know, a, a backseat. And uh, over the years, you know, I was always asked, uh, you know, 
you have a story to tell, why don't you sell it, sell it, uh, tell it rather. And uh, I had a hard time trying to come to terms with um, whether I had a story to tell, whether someone would want to read the book, uh, whether I wanted to open up another side to my life that was already uh, exposed at least halfway through uh, all you have to do is Google somebody today and you learn a whole lot about them. But I didn't want to know. I didn't, I wasn't real sure whether I wanted to know through a book, the rest of it. And uh, finally, you know, my attitude kind of changed uh, over the years and uh, I started knocking down these walls and I had a friend who was really persistent about it. And so I finally turned the corner on it and uh, it took me two years to complete the book. Uh, ironically, uh, when I first got started, I ran into a ghostwriter that had a pre-existing condition with cancer that I was unaware of. And it was during the time of the uh, uh, pandemic and we did 20 hours of Zoom and we were almost finished with it when he became no longer able to move forward and transcripts from the tapes were not great. So I had to start over uh, with a, a friend I'm sure you know, that you've met over the years, Ken Gernick, who was a, a beat writer for the Dodgers back in the early 80s. He's a journalist. Uh, he helped me, knows the history and tradition of the Dodgers and the names that go along with it. So it's an easy match for me. You know, Ron, what you just said is so interesting to me because all those reasons you laid out for not doing the book are very similar to the reasons that I've not gotten around to writing a book. So I'm curious, now that it's done, how do you feel about the finished product and what's it like to read it back? Well, Kenny did a really good job of putting pen to paper here. And, uh, you know, obviously there's not, you can't cover everything. Uh, and, and I did leave out some pieces intentionally. And, uh, uh, the, the first go round was different than the second go round. Um, you know, Kenny had a, a little bit different twist on how he wanted to, uh, uh, put this down. And, and, uh, so we just started talking. We spent a lot of time together, uh, told a lot of stories, uh, finally came to terms with what we wanted to have in there. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a real process. You know, I, uh, uh, I, I try not to believe everything that people think about me <laughs> over the years, and it's kind of hard. I, I don't. I really kind of see myself as just a an average person who goes to the store and does their things and lives their life. And uh, you know, sometimes you're put on a pedestal, and all of that's good. But I, I don't. I don't live by that. You know, I I do what I do. I go where I go. I I if if the adulation comes with it, it's fine. But uh, I, I wasn't so sure that, uh, you know, I was the, the, the person that people wanted to really uh, listen to a book about. But, you know, I was able to overcome that. And like I said, it took quite a while. Uh, took over, uh, well, probably about 35 years for, for me to get over that. Uh, but uh, here it is. It's a brand new world. And, of course, then when you do get into, uh, you know, you have a partner now. And so they're, they're interested in social media and they're trying to push a product. So I had to open up those doors too. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm not on Facebook and I'm not on Twitter and I don't plan on going there. Uh, but, uh, the other social media, Instagram and others, you know, I had to open up because, uh, we got a partner and they have to feel good about selling their product. So 
it was a mutual uh, agreement. Yeah, no, I, this much I do know. When I've talked about doing a book, and I have talked about it a lot in recent years, one of the very first things they say is, are you willing to promote? Will you be able to do that book tour? They want to know that you're going to get behind it, but the world is so different. I know exactly what you're talking about. So, Ron, if you were my childhood idol and you were, who was yours growing up? Oh, that, uh, I, I fondly talk about that. Uh, Willie Mays was my guy. Um uh, we had a triple A AAA team in Tacoma, Washington, which was the uh, Tacoma Giants, and they were the triple A affiliate of the uh, San Francisco Giants. And, and uh, you know, I had always, uh, you know, I had this childhood dream, you know, growing up, I was going to, you know, be one of those guys who had a major league career. And, and uh, it took me a while to, uh, to come to terms with my favorite guy, but uh, my friends were Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, and, you know, most of them settled for Mantle, and, you know, I was the one who settled for Mays, and uh, the irony of that is is that I got to play against my idol. Uh, We have a relationship. Um, We are friends, and uh, it it, uh, came full circle here probably about five years ago when the Giants invited some of the uh, Dodger legends up to kind of a Dodger giant reunion of moving West in 1958. I think it was like the 60th anniversary or something. And uh, I, I had a picture of Willie and I taking the Dodger stadium. Uh, it was behind the batting cage and I had an opportunity to get it signed. So I took it with me. And uh, when I got there, I was pleasantly surprised that uh, one of the old clubhouse guys that I to go to candlestick park and and rub elbows with uh told me that uh willie had come to the park especially for me because he knew i was coming and wanted to have this picture signed so i got to go over and spend about 20 minutes with him and he was uh with his healthcare person and uh it was just a terrific opportunity i have pictures on my phone from it uh it really meant a lot to me to be able to to you know have a relationship with my childhood idol and listen, it was just great. It's incredible. I mean, this this is what I mean. This is why, even though I've done thousands and thousands and thousands of interviews, this is why I'm so hyped up today talking to you for the very same reason that you were so hyped up to see your guy once again while you still had another chance. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though, see terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. So what do you remember about the first time you got to play against your idol? Well, it was in spring training game, and it was down in St. Petersburg, and this is when the uh, the Cardinals and the Mets were sp- uh, 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 sharing the, the complex, and it was kind of an odd complex because they had a, a carpet uh, infield, a dirt part surface where the base paths were, and then they had a grass outfield, and the grass outfield uh, was to accommodate the Mets and the uh, uh, the uh, sodded uh, part of the infield was to accommodate the, the Cardinals. And uh, we're playing the Mets in this game. And uh, Willie Mays is coming up. Uh, he, he's finishing his career with the Mets. And uh, 
very first inning, he comes up third and he first pitch, he hits me a line drive hmm. and I catch it and I've got it and I'm not taking it out of my glove. I think I ran back into the clubhouse and put it somewhere in my bag so it wouldn't get lost. And no, I do not have that ball. But uh, I remember uh, Willie playing uh, uh, once again his last year with the Mets. We're playing in Chase Stadium, and uh, Willie hits a home run in this game. And he's coming around now, passing second base, coming towards third. And I've got my glove over my face, and I'm smiling and laughing, and I'm saying, "Oh my God, here comes my man around third base. I want so badly to shake his hand, and I didn't." But uh, I told him that story, and uh, it's probably the only time that I actually uh, <laughs> put it in a situation for a guy in a game that was so important, you know. Yeah, almost like that time I followed you into the neighborhood, and I thought that I was going to meet you, and you took off up the hill, except you were not as amused. You weren't laughing that day, but I understand that. It's so funny. The whole thing is just so funny in that sense. Like, you, when you mentioned, Ron, in the beginning, you said the book was going to be about the most successful infield ever. Now, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. That's a take. You were part of a record-setting infield. And, of course, any of us here in L.A., we know this. But you were part of an infield that spent 10 consecutive years together. You, Steve Garvey, Bill Russell, Davey Lopes. I mean, when you're in the middle of it, you're obviously so locked in. Did you have any way of appreciating the impact of what you four accomplished in playing that same infield for a decade plus no no we didn't and uh you know we didn't uh, we didn't uh sit there and and uh, uh uh reminisce on our laurels at that point in time uh you know we were just too caught up in the moment and i think you know most of it most of the appreciation that we had for what we did took place after we were done playing and then it kind of settled in over a period of time and you know it it was just like wow um, now that we can actually, you know, sit back and take a look at this thing for what it's worth, uh, you know, there was the beginning, it was like the most enduring infield in, in major league history. And I, and I felt because I was working for the Dodgers at that time, uh, that I needed to up it a little bit because it needed more attention. And so I took it to a level of which stated uh this is the most successful infield in major league history i don't want to go the extra route and say it was the greatest infield of all time because yeah i'm not so sure i believe it and i'm not so sure i want to go there just because basically kind of who i am uh but i'm i'm thrilled that we are in fact as you mentioned uh there's no debate about this this is factual we are the most successful infield in major league history and we just had a uh, an honoring at Dodger Stadium um, that was the golden anniversary, the 50th year of uh, us having uh, set that record. And there's only a few things in Dodger history that really go back that far. And it's the Dodgers coming west from Brooklyn. It's Ben Scully's career. And it's the honoring of Jackie Robinson. So we're in a very small league group there. And I just felt that it needed you know, a little bit more uh, pizzazz. You bet. So listen, I'm hearing what you're saying, and obviously you're humble about this, so let me just try and bounce a couple of things off you anyway. Bill James, we all know Bill James. Bill James said, quote, Mike Schmidt was unquestionably the dominant NL third baseman from the mid-70s to the late 80s, but Ron Say would have to be number two, end of quote. That from Bill James. Does that sound about right to you? 
well, I've had enough time to, you know, go over some of those things. And yes, Bill James is probably the first one to really uh, give me the credit I think that, you know, I deserved. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of metrics in, in today's game. And I can tell you that, you know, Bill James hit on it. Now we have more facts and more numbers to crunch. And uh, I am the most, uh, I am the number one ranked Los Angeles Dodger infielder all time. And of the 10 years that I was there, uh, metrically, uh, by war, I was the, uh, the number one player six of the 10 years. I was second, third, and fourth twice. The fourth twice came on my uh, bookends of my career, my rookie year and my last year. And the four other people who were ranked number one in the years that I wasn't was Willie Crawford, Jimmy Wynn, Reggie Smith, and Pedro Guerrero. And, um, you know, I when I left, I was the uh, Dodgers, L.A. Dodgers all-time home run leader, uh, walk leader, game-winning RBI leader. Um, there's just been a lot missed. And uh, I, I got absolutely no credit whatsoever by the Hall of Fame when it was my term time to be considered to be uh, a Hall of Famer. And uh, that was shocking to me. Uh, I was in and out in no time. And when I rank higher than the rest of those guys on the infield, um, I don't think that I got the credit that I was deserving. Uh, and, you know, it just, I, I just feel like at some point in time, I needed to uh, speak out and tell some people that uh, you ought to take another look here. You know, I don't know if it'll change anything, probably won't. But um, I think I didn't get quite enough credit as uh, some other people thought I deserved. And uh, it was yeah, a little bit alarming. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. As an example, Tim Wallach, another great, great dude, came up to you one day and said he wanted to drop a bit of insight on you in terms of your value to the team. What did Wallach say to you? Well, he said he was working, uh, you know, as one of our coaches for the Dodgers under the Mattingly uh, uh, managerial time, and uh, they they had just started getting their their metrics in there. You know, it was, you know, nothing was mandatory at that time. But they had all the metric breakdowns as far as, you know, who should be playing today offensively, uh, the defensive shifts. And I asked, had asked him about uh, the defensive shifts, it's if they were mandatory yet. And he said, no, but it's getting closer and closer. And he says, you know, he says, you know, you'd be really surprised at what, what we found out about these metrics. He says, you're more valuable player in, in this era of baseball than you were in your own. And I think that's, you know, some of the things that I just stated to you uh, have, have become, uh, um, you know, knowledgeable, uh, excuse me, the knowledge of what we found from this. And uh, when you when you look back on it, uh, you know, they always talk about you know, how, how Mike uh, Trout was climbing the war ladder. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I also climbed the war ladder, too, once these metrics came up. And uh, I just felt that uh, if it was good enough for Mike Trout, it should be good enough for me, too. Now, Ron, I mean, climbing the war ladder, did Wallach not say to you that you had the highest war of any Dodger position player of the past 50 years? No, he didn't. But uh, I was the one who probably uh, went back and started researching this. And, and, and I found a lot of stuff. You know, uh, the 1968 free agent draft, which is hailed uh, the Dodger team is hailed as, as the greatest free agent uh, draft uh, in, in the history of, uh, of Major League Baseball. Um, 
obviously out of that group, we had 11 people who played in Major League Baseball uh, and uh, had outstanding careers. I'm the highest ranked person out of that group. Uh, I'm also uh, the highest ranked person that was in the entire 1968 draft. That's like being drafted number one. And uh, it, it surprised the heck out of me because I really didn't think that we'd go that far. But I started doing some research and I'm saying, I gotta, you got to be kidding me. Uh, this thing tells me that I'm the number one ranked player in the entire 1968 draft. Not just the Dodger draft, but the entire draft. So, you know, there's lots of things that uh, I found out that have been uh, well, pleasing to me. But, it, you know, it hasn't changed the status. And I will tell you one other thing, too. You know, if... Monsanto was a was a player that I was uh, uh, compared to when I was a 15, 16 year old kid. We were from the same state of Washington. He was from Seattle. I was from Tacoma. Same first name, same position, same number ten. A uh, lot of lot of uh, a, a lot of similarities. And if you were to take his career and my career over 162 game average, and you don't put the names in there, it's interchangeable. And I was shocked at that, too. And I'm saying he's in the Hall of Fame, and I'm not. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he got a lot more credit, and good for him. Uh, the part that was unfortunate was he got voted into the Hall of Fame posthumously. So he couldn't enjoy it, and his family couldn't enjoy it with him as well. U.S. Cellular is introducing us mode. You know, it's kind of like airplane mode, but for people. It's a way to set up your phone so it does not get in the way of people really being with each other, block distractions, make way for real connections. Give it a try. Visit U.S. Cellular in-store or online, and they'll help set up your phone to us mode free, even if you're not a customer. Built for superior 5G connection and real human connection, U.S. Cellular, built for us. Find out more at uscellular.com slash find us. What is that? Like, why? To your point, not only are you not in, but you are in and out of the voting pretty quickly. Why were you so overlooked? Why? I mean, is this ignorance on the part of the voters? What's going on here? I don't know. I probably should have had a uh, uh, a press agent, uh, you know, uh, compiling statistics and throwing them information. Maybe they would have taken a, a different look at it. But I don't. I really don't know why. And as a matter of fact, when the day after the uh, the voting for the Hall of Fame uh, took place in, in my first year. Uh, Ross Newhand gave me a call. He's uh, a Hall of Fame uh, writer, of course, inducted in the Hall of Fame. And he called me and he says, oh, my God, he says, I, I, I'm, I'm in a state of shock here. I can't believe that you're just, you know, got no, no credibility at all here. It's almost like, you know, hey, there's a name there. It's uh, it, it means absolutely nothing. Uh, it's almost like nobody just passed, passed me over. Uh, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Hmm. You know, Ron, you in your book, we, we could talk about any number of your teammates, but I want to ask you about one in particular. I want to ask you about Bill Buckner. I know I know how much he meant to you as a teammate, as a guy, as a friend. In fact, why don't you share that with me? What why did you think so highly of Bill Buckner? And what was he like as a teammate? Well, uh, most of the time, well, most people who knew Buck back then would call him, probably call him a red ass. And, uh, you know, he, he, when he didn't get a hit, you know, he'd throw his helmet or he'd throw his bat. But uh, 
when we first signed, uh, uh, Bill Buckner went to Ogden with Tom Lasorda and the other high draft picks. And I went to Tri-Cities, Washington, which was a class A team. Uh, and I had Joe Ferguson and Doyle Alexander on that team with me. And uh, I also had Bill's older brother, Bobby. And so Bobby would always talk about his brother, Bill, to me and because we were good friends. And uh, so I got to know Bill through the pipeline. And I knew that they were playing well. They won their championship. We won our championship. Um, we also had the Vietnam War uh, uh, staring us in the face. So uh, uh, when the, this half season was over with, when we played a couple of months, I had to go back to school. Uh, Bill went to uh, USC uh, for his education there. Uh, and we had to stay in school and it was past the time of going to spring training. So we were going to show up to spring training late. And so once classes were out, uh, they sent us down to, to, they sent me down to LA to catch the Dodger KO2 plane. And the only other player on that plane was Bill Buckner. And so Marge Roundtree, who was Al Campanis' secretary, was the only other person on the flight with us other than the flight attendants. And so we had this great bonding uh, going on for about five hours. And, you know, we started hanging out. It was Buckner, Valentine, myself, Tom Shorrick, uh, a few others here and there. But uh, that was where we started bonding. And all those guys, you know, were able to, you know, make it just like I was. And it was just an incredible experience. You know, I spent more time with Buck. He was the one, <clears throat> excuse me, my rookie year. And uh, he says, have you got a place to stay yet? And I said, no, I haven't even thought much about it yet. I'm not sure what we're going to do. And he says, well, good. Then you're coming out. You're coming out my way. So he he pretty much uh, put me on his back and he carted me off to Woodland Hills. And I've been living here for 50 years now. And and uh, Buck was, uh, you know, just the kind of the start of a, just a lot of things. And I was able to. Uh, team up with him after I was traded to the Cubs for one year. And then he went off to Boston and uh, started hanging out with uh, Carlton Fisk and, and Dwight Evans and those guys. And, uh, you know, and, and, and then he gets his opportunity to, you know, play in that world series where unfortunately that ground ball gets past him and, uh, uh, you know, turns his life into an absolute nightmare. And uh, I do want to thank Larry David for for the show that he invited Bill Buckner to be on that kind of vindicated him in this thing. And they started to see a different light. And so I was I was very pleased that somebody would do something, go out of their way to kind of take this burden off of Bill's shoulders. Yeah, it was so unfair, man. He was such a great player, so hard hard nosed, played through every in injury, great, great hitter. I agree with you. So before you go, and I, you know me, I could do this all day with you, but you mentioned the Cubs. Like, Ron, I was not in the business. I was still a teenager. I was pretty young. I, I didn't really care to understand the business of the business, and I just could not fathom you wearing somebody else's uniform other than a Dodger uniform. Seeing you in a Cubs uniform was mind-blowing to me, and not in a good way. Looking back on it, did you see it as straight business, or honestly, was it a little gut-wrenching to leave the Dodgers the way you did? No, it hurt. It hurt bad. You know, I actually had a terrific relationship with uh, Peter O'Malley and uh, and Walter as well before he passed away. And 
uh, now it was family back then. It was just different, you know, really different. And, you know, the fondest memories I have playing are, are, are with the Dodgers and the O'Malley family uh, because it was so, so different, so unique. And uh, it was just a terrific time to, to, uh, to, to be playing. And, of course, all, the four World Series, the World Championship, all the all-star games, all the great players, you know, I didn't want to leave that. You know, I, I had a private meeting with Peter and, and uh, you know, the, he just felt that it was best to move on because they had another group of young players coming along that were the likes of uh, Mike Marshall and Greg Brock and Alejandro Pena and Dave Anderson and uh, Saxe's brother, along with Steve Sachs and, and you know, and, 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 and Guerrero was already in there. But uh, they felt they wanted to move that group much like they moved our, our group 10 years ago. And of course, that didn't quite work out as well. But um, it uh, it was a uh, it was an awakening. Peter said that I really think it's in your best interest to do this. I'll help you in any way that I can to move you and make the transition as easy as possible. And so I said, okay, uh, we're 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 good with that. Then I'm going to uh, move on. And uh, and yeah, it still didn't feel the same. It took me a while to <clears throat> make that transition, but. Um, it turned out to be the right thing to do, but, you know, I wanted to be a Dodger uh, for my entire career. Bill Russell, actually, uh, and Mike Sosha, two guys that uh, I played with as well, uh, were, were lifelong Dodgers. <laughs> I hated it, man. I, I had a hard time with it. I had a real hard time with it. You were my guy. You're still my guy. I hated the whole thing. So before you go, a couple of quick things. Tommy Lasorda, enormous personality, of course. I'm not sure I've ever met anybody who liked being who they were more than Tommy liked being Tommy. He and I did pretty well, Ron, over the years. So I run into him a couple of years ago before he passed at David August Showroom. That's a clothier that we share. And I'm talking, the guy's 90 now, Ron. He looks me up and down. I haven't talked to him in a number of years. And even at age 90, and I quote, Tommy Lasorda says to me, and I quote, Motherfucking Jim Rome, what are you doing here? <laughs> And I said, Tommy, Tommy, same as you, my guy. I'm looking to pick up a jacket or two. I mean, and that that anecdote aside, did you ever have to remind him, hey, Tommy, you do know that the players are the reason that we've gone to all these World Series and we won that ring? Did you ever have to throw that out on occasion and remind him of that? Well, I did. And uh, he got a little upset with me one time because I signed on where the manager signs the ball, the sweet spot. And it was simply because a person who had come to the game had seen me and they had a ball and they said, oh, my God, I got to get your autograph. Please sign on the sweet spot. So I signed on the sweet spot. I had no idea that they were going to run into uh, Tom Lasorda later, nor, nor did they. And so he goes to sign the ball and he says, what, what, why did you sign up? Why is he, why is his name on the sweet spot? And he says, well, you know, I, they, they said, well, uh, we ran into him first. And he says, okay, well, I'm going to talk to him about that. So I see him a little bit later, and he says, Penguin, he says, don't you know that you're not supposed to sign on the sweet spot? That's reserved for me. And I said, Tommy, and I said, look, I said, they asked me to sign it there, so I signed it there. I'm sorry. He says, well, you ought to know better. I said, listen, the way I see it, I'm one of those guys who – got you into the hall of fame so i'm gonna sign that fucking baseball wherever i want to and then of course he starts <laughs> roaring 
And now he has some levity here and we're laughing hysterically over something that was, you know, a little bit uptight for a moment. But as soon as I let him know what the story was, and he actually said, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. So from that point on, he started actually coming around saying, you know what? The reason I'm here is because of the guys that played for me. I love that story so much. I'm going to sign that ball wherever the fuck I want, Skip. That is the best. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, dude. That was the best. Ron, before you go, so we talked about your podcast. I noticed that one of the guests on your podcast was a former tennis player and coach and author, Alan Fox. I bring this up because also as a kid, not only did I idolize you, I went to his tennis camp at Pepperdine when I was a kid, and I played high school tennis at Calabasas High School. I'm fascinated that you had him as a guest. What's your connection to him? Alan was a mentor of mine. Um, I had some real uh, issues with uh, some of the things that were going on uh, in Chicago with the Cubs and uh, the manager there. And uh, uh, it was, it was, uh, I, I was really kind of in a state of depression and I needed someone to kind of, you know, sit and talk with. And so I, I went to Alan and I'd known him for, a number of years and now I was going to use his expertise uh, and uh, he was the one who got me straightened around and uh, he's got he's such an incredibly smart guy and uh, he used all his psychological techniques on it in his tennis camps too as, as well as trying to motivate people but Alan was just a, a really remarkable guy for me uh, he got me to see things differently he got me straightened away and calmed down, and I felt like he had a story to tell, and and maybe 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 that story helped someone else get through some of their issues too. What? So I just felt it was something that I wanted to do a little bit of payback uh, and thank him again for how much he helped me. I think that's so cool. So leave me with this thought: one more guest you had on the podcast is somebody that I spoke to early in my TV career, and we really hit it off. I really was so I, I just loved her. Annie Myers Drysdale, you had oh, her yeah. on your podcast. Man, what a great gal. What a great, great, great person. Why did you have her on? And then what was it like the first time you met Don Drysdale? Well, uh, uh, to, to Annie first, uh, you know, Annie uh, obviously was, you know, part of the Dodger family back then. And, uh, you know, her daughter, Drew, uh, uh, their son, uh, uh, you know, they, they were a part of the family. And so we got to know each other really well. But Annie is such an accomplished uh, person, uh, not only because of, you know, what she did at UCLA and whatever, but, uh, you know, broadcasting, you know, professional women's basketball. Uh, she's a really neat lady and super accomplished. And, uh, you know, she's got accolades that, you know, people don't even know about. And uh, I just felt that I wanted to have, you know, a a woman on uh, uh, my shows. I, I wanted diversity. Uh, I felt in the beginning we were probably having too many comedians on our shows. Uh, but I wanted to uh, break it out and move around a bit. And I just had Billie Jean King on here within the last month. Uh, she had just returned from the Paris Open, so I was able to lock, lock her in. And I had the UCLA women's basketball coach, uh, Corey Close, who uh, is taking the UCLA women's basketball program to new heights again. 
And so I, I just felt I wanted to mix. And, and Annie was the first one who came to mind. And she was a great interview and she's very smart. So uh, as far as Don is concerned, you know, I met him in spring training. And and uh, and one of the one of the things that I remember somebody saying uh, about Drysdale that was directed to me is that uh, it was once again this time during uh, spring training where we were in school. And we weren't there at the beginning of it. And also I had to do my active duty one spring. So I missed the entire spring training, um, uh, because of military duty in the Vietnam war. And, uh, Drysdale said something that was probably to Russell. He says, you know, who's this kid? Who's this safe kid? He says, his name's on a locker and I haven't seen him in two years. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. And then of course, Don becomes a broadcaster when, uh, when we, uh, are, are going through the height of our glory with the infield. And, and he's one of the announcers that uh, is in the playoffs in the world series. So uh, he was, I think he was one of the, one of the announcers who got to uh, present the uh, world championship trophy to us in 81. Nothing better than that. The book is called penguin power. It is out right now. Ron say finally got around to writing that book. So Ron, where do our listeners get the book? I would presume anywhere they get their books or where should they go to get the book? Uh, we're on Amazon right now, and uh, I actually have two uh, signings coming up uh, this week. Uh, uh, Barnes & Noble in Glendale on Thursday, uh, the 20th, and one in Calabasas on the 22nd at Barnes & Noble, the, uh, uh, the center there. And uh, uh, I've got uh, book signings through the end of the month. Uh, uh, it's It's been really kind of fun to see where this is going but uh and also on the podcast if you're looking for the podcast uh we do we tape it out of crn talk radio uh it's on spotify amazon google uh spotify and roku is the video my man would you listen to you 2023 ron say is everywhere pushing out content is the barnes and noble in calabasas is that you know, we moved down to Orange County since, but is that at the Commons or is that somewhere yes, else? Yes, it is. The Commons, 2.30 on Saturday, and the one in uh, Glendale is 7 p.m. at the Barnes & Noble there in Glendale. Absolutely, absolutely love it, my guy. Great book. I'm so glad to see you in the podcast space, too. You were my idol. You're still my idol. I appreciate you, Ron, so much. Thank you very much for the long-form conversation, and that was absolutely awesome to get caught up. Congrats on an awesome book. Thanks again, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. My dude, the Penguin, Ron Say. If you couldn't tell, I could have done that for three more hours or three days or three weeks. I can't get enough of my guy. An all-time great dude and incredibly insightful. Enormous thanks to Ron Say for making time for me yet again. And I hope you all check out his brand new podcast and book. And once again, that new book is called Penguin Power. Make sure you get it. It's a tremendous read. I mean, what's better than that, right? This is why I started this pod in the first place. Premium, extended, and unfiltered and unforgettable one-on-ones that you cannot get and will not hear anywhere else. So do me a solid, if you will. Take a second to subscribe. That way you'll be the first to know whenever a new episode does go live. Consider finding and smashing that subscribe button, and I will catch you next week for F275. See you then.